expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Manconi. Last year, more than 4 million people visited Taipei's National Palace Museum, which houses one of the world's largest collections of imperial Chinese artifacts. Now, the museum has prepared this collection not just for local Taiwanese or Chinese tourists. It's really for people from all over the world to come and learn about Chinese culture and history. So, to help out guests without top-notch Mandarin skills and make the collection a little bit more accessible for foreign visitors, the museum offers free tours in English as well. And today on Taiwan Talk, we're going to be taking a trip to the museum to meet one of those tour guides. My name is Geraldine So, uh, or Jerry for short. Most people call me Jerry. Um, I've been a volunteer at the National Palace Museum for 10, 11 years now. She attended school in Taiwan growing up, but went to the U.S. for university. I went to the American school here. I went to University of Pennsylvania for college, university. I have finance and accounting background, and now I have a cupcake shop, and I volunteer at the museum. Now, Jerry is a volunteer. So, to start off our conversation, I wanted to know why she wanted to become a tour guide in the first place. I think it's mostly because I've taken a lot of people here to the museum and been on tours and realized that having my English skills and my Chinese uh, history or Chinese background, it would actually be a good combination for me to help bridge the gap for people that are coming in visit for the first time to try to understand Chinese culture, maybe looking at it from a Western point of view. So why do you think that's an important thing to do, uh, bridging the gap for Western visitors? I think that if you're able to look at it from their perspective and introduce it to them in a way that they can accept little by little, because Chinese history is 8,000 years long. It is not something you can quantify in an hour, which is what our tour, the length of our tour usually is. Now, you have to give it to them little by little so they can build the whole puzzle, hopefully, by the end of the tour and have some kind of linear picture of the Chinese history. And I think that being able to break it down for them in simple pieces, I think, is the most important part of what we do as tour guides. And hopefully that little piece built will encourage them to come back again because obviously this museum is not something you can do in an hour, right? Ideally, it's for you to keep coming back and building more knowledge each time. All right, so I imagine it's got to be pretty difficult, the process of becoming a tour guide. I mean, we're talking about uh, 10,000 years of history, hundreds of thousands of pieces what can you tell us about uh, the process, what you had to go through to become a tour guide? We, when I first started, which was a long time, uh, 11 years ago, our training program was a little more intense. It was basically four months, three days a week, three or four hours each time with midterms and finals. Uh, the midterms and finals constituted both written and verbal. Obviously, the most important part of our job is to be able to take you around. So the verbal part was actually more important. And it was quite stressful in the sense that we were told that the people testing us would be curators. And that's always very difficult, right? Because you can't really make anything up because they really know when you're making things up. And you're learning it for the first time. And there's so many things to remember, you know. And so that was a little bit stressful. It really felt like an art history class in college. So what would you say was the hardest part about the training? For me, it was trying to put everything together to make it interesting enough for the curator. Although I, ultimately that's not my audience, but I had to pass the test. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's not just memorization, it's also presentation. Yes, it's present the, obviously presentation is a big part. Picking the pieces is another, right? Cause, and you also have to time yourself. I mean, I, I guess some people could be very overzealous and spend three hours in porcelain, but I don't think any of your guests want to do that. So you almost need to pick out maybe 
four or five things and speak well of it rather than pick one thing and talk for talk about it for an hour do you know what i mean so that was sort of the the challenge at the same time putting it together into an interesting continuous whole was actually quite important so now that you've got the job uh, what would you say is something that's challenging about it i think one very important thing that you should never do is not make up answers it's very important i think that some people get nervous you're asked on the spot it seems to be very hard for people to say i'm sorry i don't know but i think that is a very important answer because we can't know everything this museum has 650,000 pieces you can be here for 50 years and still not know everything right so the ability to say i'm sorry i don't know if you really need to know i can check leave me for today thank god we have email now so if you really must know i can respond to you i think that is the hardest thing for most volunteers to do because there's a tendency to feel like you're pushed up against the wall and then have to make something up and i think that's the worst thing you could possibly do as a tour guide i think so you're mostly an english language tour guide uh, do you ever give tours in Chinese? I rarely do. Um, at least I, I, when I do, it's not for the museum because the museum testing process is quite long. And to be a Chinese tour guide, they have to be tested in every subject, as in in jade, porcelain, bronze, whatever, and they have to pass. As English docents, when we started 10 years ago, we actually had to have more general knowledge. So you're required to take an exam where you can take three or four galleries and make it interesting enough for the guests. So obviously you can't know everything about everything in the museum. Can you give us a sense of uh, how many pieces you need to learn about to do this job well? In giving any presentation, you always need to know 10 things because you'll only remember five when you get up there and be stressed. Right? So I always, the depth of knowledge, I think if you plan your tour correctly, as in you have to have the overview, and then you have to have at least 15 pieces to 20 pieces in each gallery that you know well. Because there's going to be crowds, you can't always get to the pieces you want. So you got to have backups when you're doing this, right? you got to be able to move around and at least give them the same breath that you would get, right? Maybe not necessarily depth, but at least the same breath that you would. And I think that that, not, that basis should be how you build a tour. So in total, how many galleries are we talking about here? The main galleries that we take, that we take our, our foreign guests to are actually porcelain, jade, and bronze for sure. Those are our standard, the standard tours. Then we have carvings. Um, then we have carvings, painting calligraphy then we have special galleries on the first floor that change pretty frequently we have curio boxes as well and then we have two smaller galleries where they change every six months to a year depends yeah okay so i'm counting about 10 galleries and then five exhibits you say per each one so that's uh 50 Uh, so i guess you need to know 50 exhibits really well to do this about on average yes on average, yeah. And then changing, too. It's fun. It's fun. The learning is fun. Trust me. That's what we're all here for. If there's anything you want to sell the National Palace Museum Volunteer Lounge, you sell books. You bring books in. You tell them, all oh, this is for the new exhibit. It's gone in, like, five minutes. So, of course, your job is not just a matter of saying it in English, saying it exactly the same way it would be presented by other tour guides. Uh, you need to make it a little bit more accessible for the foreign audience. I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of these guests aren't going to have the same kind of a background in Chinese history that maybe a a Taiwanese visitor might have. Uh, How do you make this more accessible? I think the best way to do it is to be able to relate it to everyday life, Um, everyday Western culture life almost, to say, oh, this is similar to what you do. I mean, recently, the one that's most fun is actually the chicken cup. I don't know if you've heard. The chicken cup was sold by Sotheby's, exactly the same one that we have in our museum, obviously not sold by our museum. Um, was sold for $36 million, okay? 
Obviously, that's a large, huge dollar amount. But what's even more fun about it is recently the person who purchased it actually drank out of it. And, you know, people listen to that, they're like, oh. And then, of course, then there's a debate as to, you know, suddenly the whole group's talking about, is that right? Is that wrong? You know, is that allowed or not? And I always say, well, he spent 36, 36 million. <laughs> you could do whatever he wants with it. And as long as he doesn't break it, I guess I don't have a problem, right? I mean, like, I mean, you don't want them to break this stuff, right? Because there's only six or seven surviving in the world. I mean, you don't want anything to happen to them. But if he wants to use them and feel like an emperor, then <laughs> who am I to argue? Have you ever seen any maybe... Um aha kind of moments with your guests do you do you feel like this is ever kind of a maybe a big experience for some of them what i find most interesting in doing the tours is usually when a foreigner comes they bring a local a local person that takes them that takes them around taipei right so they come with them and usually at the end of the tour i find that the local person is even more proud of their culture than when they first started and they actually walk around with a little more confidence to say that hey you know what i'm really proud to be Chinese because our culture is so much longer and then the foreigner that comes with them treats them with a different kind of respect to say you know what you're right you do have a much longer culture than we do and it's quite it's flourished over the you know 8,000 years and deserves the respect that it, it, it has right now and today at least in today's society I think and I think that for me is where I feel that I've bridged the gap for both of them right suddenly the conversation is more equal so what do you hope your tour guests will walk away with when the tour is done? What, what, what do you want them to take away with them out of the museum? I'm hoping they walk away with one or two things, really. One, we need to come back because I've only seen, I've only scratched the surface. Two, I would treat, at least have more respect for the Chinese culture and the whole development process of it. And not be so critical or not, say, be so one-sided sometimes in their views when they look at. Because sometimes our Chinese culture is clouded by all the political situations, political competition in the world right now. And I think that maybe after my tour, they'll look at it and say, you know what, maybe it's not as politically competitive as they're viewing it and seeing as more of like, okay, it's a cultural development and it is a culture, whatever the political developments may be, that this culture still deserves the respect instead of, you know, any kind of anything else. For being, I, I have to say, for being one of the most continuous cultures in the surviving from today. I mean, the Chinese culture and history is the most continuous right now in today's history. The other cultures are not so easy to trace the continuity as much as well as we can trace it, I think. And the museum does a good job of doing that. After the interview, I asked Jerry if she could give us a taste of what her tours are actually like. So she took me to one of her favorite displays. Okay, so we're uh, standing in front of a statue. The display says, Figurine of a Standing Lady Painted with Colors. And it's from the Tang Dynasty, so it's something like uh, 1100 to 1400 years old. Uh, so I guess this is supposed to be in the uh, image of one of China's four beauties, Yang Guifei. And uh, just so our listeners can visualize this, it's a 70 or so centimeter stone statue of a woman in robes. She's got uh, pointy shoes sticking out of the bottom. She's got two top knots on her head and uh, what I would describe as um, chubby cheeks. So uh, what can you tell us about this statue? This is my favorite of a lot of the museum's collection. It's the fat lady from the Tang Dynasty is what I always call it. And the reason she's fat is because the Tang Dynasty is the golden age of China. And golden age means excessive eating and excessive drinking. So excessive and in addition to excessively long skirts. Okay, so excessive drinking, excessive eating makes you plump. Excessively long skirts gives room for the functional shoes that we she wears because they're pointy. So what happens is you tuck your skirts behind those pointy shoes and you'll be able to walk comfortably. 
And the definition of, since she supposedly made in the image of one of the four beauties of Chinese history, the definition of beauty during the Tang Dynasty was thin eyebrows and cherry lips. Well, for this one, I mean, besides being the being the fat, like I said, one of the four beauties of Chinese history. Four beauties of Chinese history is defined by you have to have political impact. So usually, Yang Guifei is on a top ten list of why the Tang Dynasty failed. <laughs> it's a good impact to have. <laughs> yes, and one of the things she's famous for um, was that she likes fresh lychees uh, from the south of China, and so the military horses had to run those errands for her. Um, back then, they didn't have Federal Express or UPS, so military. So she was not very popular with the military. <laughs> when the opportunity came for the military to get rid of her um, was when the borders, uh, the border generals rebelled against the central government. The Tang Dynasty had strong borders in order to allow for a strong dynasty, a prosperous dynasty, keep everybody else out. So when they saw the emperor obsessed with her, they rebelled against the central government. The military close to her, him said, we're not fighting for you unless you get rid of your wife. So she was actually supposedly given the white cloth and expected to hang herself, or you know, and that's the story of Yang Guifei <laughs> and this beautiful fat lady that I aspire to be like, more like. <laughs> is that why it's your favorite exhibit? Yes, it is because it's one of those times where women can eat freely, unlike today. <laughs> Something for us to learn from. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We've been speaking to Jerry So, one of the volunteer English language tour guides at the National Palace Museum in Taipei. You can learn more about the museum at npm.gov.tw. Thanks for listening to Taiwan Talk. As always, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's program. You can leave us a comment on our Facebook page, the ICRT blog, or rate and review Taiwan Talk on iTunes. For ICRT, I'm Keith Menconi.